Hey y'all, you know we're a nonprofit, right? That means we rely on donations from listeners to keep this podcast going. So if you have a couple of dollars to spare because every dollar counts, please consider giving at patreon.com slash femfreak. Also fun fact, in addition to the perks that you'll get as a Patreon subscriber, your donations and contributions on Patreon are also tax deductible because we're a 501c3. So if you want to learn more, if you want to give please head over to patreon.com slash femfreak. I feel like even in 2022, I'm going in sometimes into like presentations that I have to go to for work that remind me of the assemblies I went to in the late 90s in school that right. were like, raise your hand if you've ever met a gay person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, this is just like, hey, yeah. you live in the world. Let's talk about it. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Kat Spada, and this week we're doing things a little bit differently because I get to conduct an interview with my co-host, Anita Sarkeesian, and Feminist Frequency family founder, Carolyn Pettit. Hey, Anita. Hi. Hi, Kat. Hi. I'm a guest (laughs) on my own podcast. This is so cool. That's right. Always excited to have Carolyn back on, managing editor of Kotaku, Carolyn yeah, Pettit, fucking feminist frequency alum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great to be back. Yeah, and this is exciting to have you back for this particular right. topic. Yeah. Today we're talking about the new Nebula original series, That Time When, directed and presented by our own Anita Sarkeesian and written by Carolyn Pettit. This show dives into some of the most divisive moments of modern history when politics and pop culture collide. If you think you know how Ellen DeGeneres got to be such a lightning rod in the social conversation or you want to know what really happened with Gamergate, that time when will take you through the context, the players, and the controversy. Join us for a look at that time when the U.S. lost its mind over a wardrobe malfunction. And for less than one second, Super Bowl viewers saw a female rest that time when Dan Quayle attacked a fictional single mom to score points with conservative voters. Martin Luther King Jr. changed the fate of Star Trek. That time when Ellen came out. Role-playing games and pop music were seen as a threat to America's soul. Whoa. Weird. (laughs) That time when angry gamers revealed the future of conservative online politics. Gamergate isn't just another historical event for me. This is something I lived through. I should have had you write all of our promo materials. That was fucking great. <laughs> um, yeah. Are we just diving right in um, to the yeah. Is this it? Okay. Yeah. Well, so let's go. Okay. Well, so let me I, I, let me pull back the curtain a little bit if I could to kick things off because, yes, you said written by Carolyn Pettit and it's true. I, I do have writing credit like on this and which I earned. I mean, I, I definitely did that work and I'm I'm proud to have that credit but I also want to say that it was very much a a collaboration start to finish so the uh, just so the first of all the concept uh was all Anita the stories that we set out to tell with this series were all like Anita's ideas and you know the kind of arc that we were um crafting in in sort of revisiting these um historical events and instances, I'd say that the way that it worked, you know, for those who are interested, is that Anita and I started, you know, we had big meetings where we talked about what all the different topics were, some of the big points we wanted to hit, like what were the contemporary points about like history or the world today that maybe we also wanted to tie these historical stories into and then with some of that rattling around in my head, with all that rattling around in my head, because I, I I don't, I'm bad at writing when somebody is like looking over my shoulder. I can't mm-hmm. write um, a, a Google Doc if there's somebody there hovering in the doc, like watching every word I type. So I'm like, okay, let me go off for a bit into my own space, do a shit ton of research looking for more like historical stuff that we can pull in to help us tell these stories and try to craft, you know, like take a shot in the dark at crafting a narrative, you know, here that maybe what we want the story to look like. And 
you know, there's a lot of challenges involved in that. One being that these are all things that, you know, people have written books about or could write books about. You could do 90-minute documentaries, you know, for feature length on a lot of these stories. So we really had to ask ourselves, what is like the essence here of how do we tell this story in a way that's going to be engaging to folks and 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 human and lively and hopefully and not but also, you know, um economical, right? Hitting the major points. Then I'd come back with rough drafts and Anita and I would go over them very much collaboratively again. She'd offer all kinds of notes, suggestions, rewrite things, you know, say tweaks, you know, for things that, uh, yeah, just offer new stuff to, to put in and cut out and so on and so forth. And, you know, and then I, I kind of maybe go off on my own a bit and try to incorporate that, bring it back to her. And so it was very much this kind of back and forth collaborative process the whole the whole way through until we kind of got to the uh, got to where where we wound up with them. Yeah, it's interesting how credits work, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, I think in a traditional structure, I would be the showrunner. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm credited as the director and host of this thing, but um, I would have been the showrunner. But like all of the research and all of the words are Carolyn because they're beautiful words. Uh, Uh But there are definitely I remember moments where you like there's some scripts where you're like, I got it and nailed it. And you're just Mm -hmm. like, you know, fucking done one and done kind of thing. And then Mm -hmm. other ones that we'd keep coming back to and being like, there's something missing. Yeah. Like what's missing? And I I remember the one that I remember the most clearly was the um the Dixie Chicks episode. We were really mm. struggling to mm. create some kind of deeper connection and tie. So the right. D- the Dixie Chicks episode is about when the uh the singer of the Dixie Chicks uh basically came out as against the Iraq War. And so we're like, oh, cancel culture, great. Let's talk- this is an perfect opportunity to talk about how bullshit cancel culture was. And so Carolyn went and wrote all this beautiful stuff. And then we're like, there's something still missing. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know if you were at my house when we were doing this, but I remember laying on my couch and being like, what is it? What is it? What is it? There's something missing. And then Mm. it just like clicked into place because I remembered that in the eighties and nineties, they, um, the Republicans introduced the concept of political correctness as a way to, mm -hmm, as a way to undermine the, the growing movement around uh, academic progressive thought, specifically around racial, um, uh, critical race theory and feminist theory and those sorts of things. And I was like, oh my God, this is the same thing that they fucking did, right? Like they, the Republicans and the conservatives are such rhetorical masterminds that they create these little soundbite words that then get sucked into the mainstream and people who are not aligned with them politically start using that. And so you'll see like... It's not like PC isn't used as much today, but it was like decades of people being like, oh, you're so PC. You're so like, you know, if you're like, hey, maybe we should not use certain words because they're offensive or reinforce oppressive values. Um, you would just like, you know, average fucking liberal person would be like oh, PC culture. And I was like, that's the click. Right. Like that was the thing that I think made that episode so much deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and we were, way, we tried to do that in a lot of these episodes is be like, what is the like how do we dig a little bit deeper in 10 minutes? <laughs> you know, like right. these are short episodes. And what I found interesting, I don't know, Carolyn, if this was the same for you is, um, yeah, like I, I think I came up with most of the topics. I, I think maybe you came up with one or two and um, mm, they were just right. like literally just top of mind, you know, whatever. I think this would be interesting. And as Carolyn was researching and writing them, we started to observe that like, so much of this is about puritanical reactionary backlash. Like yes. it ended up being yeah. like, that's the it, point of the series, which it, we didn't it, even know going into it, it. Yeah. That was fascinating. Seeing that theme emerge just organically. Um, what uh, the theme of that, the puritanical right wing, you know, efforts to control society, to control women, to control like what's considered acceptable and the, the, rhetorical tricks, the legal, you know, uh, devices um, throughout, throughout, you know, um, American history that, and the, the pattern, like these kind of cyclical patterns of like, oh, this, you know, thing that happened, you know, (laughs) with uh, 
uh, I mean, anti-abortion rhetoric, you know, in the like early 1900. I forgot. I've forgotten already all the historical it's okay. dates we, and these everything were written that I like two so, years ago. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, and I, and also like it was a few months of such like uh, working at like a really for me, you know, kind of a fervent pace and everything that it's also kind of a blur in a way. Like I don't really remember the details so much of the process. So we, so for instance, when I was watching some of these uh, episodes to prepare for this, I, like there was a little bit of fun in, in it in like, okay, we're, yeah, we're, I'm like halfway through an episode and I'm like, where did, where did we end up going with this? Or like, what's the story that we were telling? I'm like yeah. watching it purely as a viewer who's like, I'm good. Where I'm curious to see where, the, where this is going. You know how, when you're watching like a scary movie and there's a certain sound cue or light motif where you're like, Jaws is about to show up mm-hmm. or like, where is the, you know, where's the, the slasher like that. I wish there was a sound cue for Reagan. <laughs> yeah, so Reagan is like a recurring character. Yeah, yeah. I was I'm, like, even like the ho- the Hollywood blacklist episode. I was like, uh, yeah. uh, uh-uh. don't fool you. Don't you don't fool me. I know he's coming. <laughs> yeah, totally. I thought that was such a good prompt. Um, the other thing I was thinking, Carolyn, when you were talking, was about how like so much gets changed, like. When when I started learning about filmmaking, like narrative filmmaking, um, a lot of um, directors would talk about how you're making three different movies. There's like the pre-production movie that you think you're making. And then there's what happens on set, which changes a lot. And then there's post-production, which changes a lot. And so like Carolyn was only around at the very beginning of it, but there were so Mm. many changes that happened while we were recording. And then even more changes of like what got cut out um, during post-production. And so it really is quite like, it's not enormously different, but it is quite different. Like, for example, yeah. in the Ellen episode, um, we talk about uh, Ellen coming out as a huge cultural moment. Uh, and in that episode, I think I actually wrote this and Carolyn cleaned it up, where I go off on how, like, cis straight people get praised for playing trans or queer folks. And, like, I kind of go off about... Um, right. Brokeback Mountain and uh, and and also um, the one uh, with the, Le- was it Dallas Le- Buyers Club? Yes, or- and that one. And so, like, I do this huge rant about this. That's just like a tangent. And my the like post production producer was like, "I think we need to cut this. It's really off the wall. <laughs> like, it's just it hurts the flow." And I was like, "No," but like yeah. it made the episode smoother, right? And so you totally. do lose some yeah. of that. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I mean, I think that's just. The, the evolution of any work, I mean, it's it's kind of this living thing until it's out there in the world, right? It is this this living, evolving, shifting thing. And that's, yeah, yeah it's just part of the, it's, it's, you know, part of what makes the creative process interesting in a way. Yeah. And also, like, I think all creative people identify with this. Like, I watch them and go, oh, I would have changed that. Or, sure. oh, th- like, I would have phrased this differently. Like, yes. the, there's a couple of things in there that I'm like, oh, I feel like we use gendered language when we didn't need to. Right. Um, in certain, like, there's some stuff where we're, like, talking about women. And I was like, we should have been more inclusive with some of that, right? Or, um, yeah. so, and some of it was specifically, like, about women. And some of no, it, I was of like, course. we could have been no. more inclusive. Yes. Um, there was another... 100%. There was another one where there's two other ones that actually really stick out to me that I'm always like, oh, cringe. One is I called, um, uh, I think we referred to a man who has been abusive as a perpetrator. And that is language I don't use anymore. I don't call Uh, people who have caused harm perpetrators. Right. And that was something that like we couldn't really change at this point. Um, And then I think that there was another one around. Oh, there's one. So it's actually a funny moment. But in, uh, oh, what episode is it? I think it's the Satanic Panic episode, right? Where mm. where um, the fucking conservative, like Christian conservatives freaked out about Dungeons and Dragons. So they talk about how like the, the music industry, remember like they went after the music industry in the 80s and 90s and there was like the the dirty dozen where they like went after Prince and fucking Shebop and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And, and there was... Um, well, that song, that song is about masturbation. It so is. It's they, true. Really, I mean, how dare should not you have talk, been on the airwaves. But anyway, how dare you that's, talk to children that's a about conversation for another time. You know, you, that's just, yeah. you know, you and I but see there's that a differently. Line, yeah, there's a line in that episode where I say, like, um, 
like, why don't they get worried about real things in the world? And I'm like, oh my God, I'm a fucking media critic. I think media is so important. Like, I would not have phrased it like that if I had like right. thought right. about it. And I didn't right. notice until it was in post-production that no, I was like, yeah. that's so undermining. But I mean, I think that, I, I mean, I, you know, every tier of creativity that I've ever like looked at closely or, you know, Great directors will say that the 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 finished film that mo that you know people regard as a masterpiece, you know, to them it it's like so flawed and was like represents like ten percent of their original vision. You know, so many great novelists that I have admired so much, you know, that are so like hypercritical of their own. And I think that just comes from the desire to in the awareness that we can always be improving, the desire to improve. And, you know, yeah, yeah I, I think that's just, I think that's, a f- as a long friend as of it's not who's... taken too far to, yeah. to the point where we're, like, beating ourselves up, like, uh, over- overly, I think it's a healthy, you know, kind of um, yeah. impulse to have. A friend of mine who is a filmmaker and editor is like, nobody knows what you cut. Like, you know, you know that yes. it's gone, yeah. but nobody else knows that it's gone, right? So, like, right. the audience right. is just presented with what they're presented with, and... um. You know, it was like the reason the reason he brought this up to me was because we were going to a party and I forgot my ring. And it was like to me, it was such an important part of my outfit. And he was like, nobody's going to know. And yeah. like nobody did. And it doesn't matter. But it was that sort of idea of like people don't know what's not there necessarily, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and it's interesting that that can happen in retrospect with like, what did you cut or what do you wish you what do you wish you had done? But like. Carolyn, I just have a sense that you and I might be similar in this way, but this can also, I think, happen in the research phase of, like, you could research for 10 years and never start writing. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, like I said, it was definitely, you know, that was a big challenge for for me in those, in that kind of drafting phase, too, of just, like, sifting through everything, you know, trying to decide, okay, I have to start getting some stuff down on the page, but what if I'm missing some, you know, like crucial detail that would really make this whole thing, you know, just incredibly uh, explosive or powerful. And, and also like, oh, and, and then also that, that the, the challenge of knowing, yeah, what to include, what to, what to go into some detail on, what to just kind of really quickly convey you know what to um what to kind of what is kind of more peripheral and can be left by the wayside and i have to say having watched about five of the episodes now i think so much great work in telling these stories in the final episodes is done through the great use of like visuals motion you know graphics clips and things that i think often kind of you know something that you know anita might just say a, a sentence or something, but then there will be a clip or a visual that really helps kind of back up that statement or that point and in a way that is more uh, uh, persuasive and communicative than, you know, the power of visual a, a, storytelling. A hundred words about it might have been, right? And one of the most withering voice performances when there's an uh, Ayn Rand. <laughs> quotation reading. yes who did that okay who did sissy that? jones is one of my favorite voice actors uh people would know her from video games specifically uh she was yeah. the voice of Delilah, right in firewatch uh, yeah yeah um and went on to do other wonderful things sure. she yeah. just like it was i um i'm new to directing and so she is such a pleasure to direct because i'm like can you do this accent? Okay, can you do this accent? Can you do it like a little less? Can you do it a little more? And I was just like, this is fucking perfect. And I, like, when I read that script, when Carolyn presented it, I didn't know Ayn Rand had anything to do with the blacklist. And I died. I was like, this is fucking gold. Like, just gold. And some of the first motion, that was the first video that was edited, uh, the Hollywood blacklist one. And um, Dom uh, Burgess, I think his name is, uh, his name is Dom, Um did all of the motion graphics and he killed it. Oh, like yeah. there's, Amazing there's one where you're work. going through the, like the book and it's just like this beautiful background and like the pages are flipping and like, she's kind of off to the side. And then you just hear this voice reading these stupid ass fucking rules for how to tell stories in Hollywood. <laughs> and it's so funny. 
So I want to just zoom out a little bit for listeners. Mm. Like there, there was something about this that, um, first of all, like you mentioned, these are like 10 minute episodes and it kind of reminded me of growing up on the like VH1 uh, best week ever, like, do you remember the this 1973 or whatever <laughs> shows? And then today where you'd have those like 90 minute podcasts you're wrong about or stuff you missed in history class, which um, I enjoy those, but I do occasionally used to fall asleep to. And this <laughs> is like a great little marriage of like, it's 10 minutes. You, you know, there are a couple of episodes that might be topics that are brand new to viewers. And then there are other ones where you're like, oh, my God, of course, the first episode, Janet Jackson. Right. At the time of recording, that's the episode that's out already. Yes. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I was there. I, I know everything about it. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, oh, <laughs> well, I knew just a little bit of that yeah. story. And I think even, you know, I watched, you know, one of the episodes I watched was the Ellen episode, which is out when this airs, I think. And... Like, I'm so glad that in that episode, we we say things like, now you might be wondering why this is such a big deal, because because already, like, to me, it feels like like their very recent past. But I mean, I work with people, literally like my coworkers of mine who are, you know, adults with jobs and everything who literally weren't born yet when that happened. So, you know, and I'm so wow. aware of like how... Among like queer people, um, are the sense of history and it, it's it's very easy to grow up thinking that things were always a certain way or to not really have a sense of just how different things were even you know in even three decades ago. Um, so yeah, I I think you know I'm glad that we tried to present it in a way that doesn't like assume that people are coming to it with like all this lived experience or, you know, knowledge of things. But also, and maybe I'm saying this from the perspective of someone who knows the two of you and is also like on board for the messaging, right? right. It's like, not like I need the spoonful of sugar right, for right, some of these, right, right. but like, I didn't feel talked down to, Yeah, you know, like there's an assumption of, of media literacy, even if you don't know the details no. or you don't know the story. And I really appreciate Thank that. Thank you. I, I, um, I'm, yeah, no, that's, you know, gratifying to hear um, because it, it, it can be a I, tough balance. I had to sit through a, an assembly in like, I've, I feel like even in 2022, I'm going in sometimes into like presentations that I have to go to for work that remind me of the assemblies I went to in the late 90s in school that right. were like, raise your hand if you've ever met a gay person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, yeah. So, this is just like, hey, yeah. you live in the world. Let's talk about it. Yeah. I mean, and so like, you know, in one episode, Anita's like, you know about something in particular she's like and but if you don't believe me like why are you why are you here yes <laughs> and so it's you know i i think we we don't Which do the thing of almost got cut out by the way mm. and i like i fought to keep that in because i was like that's a good important line in terms yeah. of like who the this is a we wrote this for a different audience than we would have written it for if it was on youtube and i think that that's yes. what yeah. makes this series better because like, we didn't have to do all of the counter arguments and all of yeah. this sort of like setup and everything like it is on nebula it's behind a paywall it is a particular audience that is coming into watching this with good faith right they're giving me the benefit right. of the doubt as opposed to us having to be like oh my god we're yeah. gonna like we're gonna get attacked off the bat and so right. i think it makes the tone different um yeah, and i think it, it makes it better does. you know yeah it's more human it's more you know, conversational in a, in a really uh, engaging way. And yes, like, uh, so I don't know, you know, uh, most listeners probably know this, but, but on projects like Tropes, so much of the thought and the energy even in writing those is like building in, you know, trying to anticipate the bad faith arguments to uh, building in, you know, defenses against those. And I mean, it's kind of exhausting at a certain point, like, writing in that way that like defensive way where you have to kind of take you kind of have to treat this bullshit as potentially legitimate almost right like oh you have to kind of right. respond to it or react to it so yeah I, I think it was definitely fun 
um, to write this and to not be so, uh, you know, be and be more concerned with just like, are we are we telling this story in a compelling way? Are we are we kind of balancing the like historical facts with just like the human, you know, the lively anecdotes and things that humanize it? So it's not just a dry string of like historical fa- dates and facts and things, but is an engaging human story and not so much thinking about like, what are the detractors going to, how is this going to persuade, right. you know, um, someone on the fence about such and such about whether, whether, you know, <laughs> trans people are human beings uh, or whatever it is. <laughs> and you talked about the amazing um, graphics that are used to accomplish that, but I want to talk a little bit about like the production design, like Anita, your costuming mm. on it. I, got through the whole Janet Jackson episode not getting why you were wearing like a football jersey (laughs) (laughs) until I was just like oh she looks like a cool girl (laughs) cool cool girl wears jersey and you know like that was as far as my brain went because like how much of that story do I still not associate with like sports (laughs) I was like oh right there was a whole sports thing that happened there too and then, like, as the next episodes were happening, I was like, oh, my God, like, even this and then small, like, it's not a complex set, but there's, like, props that are tying you into yeah. this. And every episode opens with, like, here's what the hot song of the of the summer was. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, like, perfect for this kind of snackable 10 minutes, like, yeah. all right, I'm in a time and a place. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so funny. Uh, so each episode, the costuming was designed for the theme of the episode to some degree. And uh, for the Janet episode, we definitely like started out being like, cool, like let's wear like fucking leather and like cool dope, like Janet <laughs> outfits, like from the 80s and early 90s. Right? Nation. And they just that like didn't work. And so uh, I was then going to wear a Ted Lasso jersey as a joke. <laughs> and then that looked like crap on me so i raided my neighbor's closet who is a big sports fan and ended up wearing uh this jersey and it's actually reggie bush's jersey from usc which i didn't know anything about because i was like yo whose jersey am i wearing like is this going to be a fucking problem because you know sports dudes right Uh, and what's funny is if you now that i know reggie bush was like there's a whole controversy around reggie bush in terms of like he got kicked out uh, or he was like disgraced because he took money from agents, but then that rule has since changed. And so now he's like back and like, people are like, he should get credit for his role. But anyways, it's just really funny that I doubt anyone watching this is, is like a hardcore, like college football sports fan that will understand the story of that Jersey. But I like had to make sure that I wasn't wearing like, it's football, you know, like it's the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> it like, no, I mean, it's not the NFL. somebody that's yeah. like, Killed their family. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like a non-zero. Yeah. I, so it was, it was just funny. Anyway, so if you know, you know that what that jersey is. Um, but that's what it that's what it was. Like we defaulted to sports. And I will say too, if you go to my Instagram, you will see some dope behind the scenes photos that me and my DP, Nina Ham, did where we like just did these like goofy impromptu photo shoots where I was like, I look like a football wife. And <laughs> so we did these like goofy living room photo shoots as like with the like the football and the fucking whatever props we had for it, the, it was pretty like good. the big foam finger, the big the foam, foam finger, finger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had. I mean, I did. I like literally took notes on all of these ten minute episodes, and I am not about to take you through all of them. But I had this thought during the first episode, and then as we talked, like, and other topics get into the like PC gone mad turns into this like f- dog whistle about cancel culture. Yes. I had a moment thinking about Justin Timberlake. Mm-hmm. And there was a time in my young life when Justin Timberlake was the most important person on the planet to me. And it was so easy for me to let go of that mm. as Great. I learned about him. And I just thought, like, why is it so hard when people are like, but I love Woody Allen movies or but I like, but. Uh, yeah. they were always, they always seemed so great. Like, why is it so hard for people? I loved Justin Timberlake so much. He was plastered all over my locker when I was a child. And then he was uh, someone, like, I think I was just like, I'm kind of annoyed by this Take Back the Night song. 
I think I'm kind of annoyed with what's happening after Janet Jackson. I think I'm really pretty annoyed by that. I think I'm really kind of upset about Britney Spears. Like all of these things where it was like, oh, you can just change your mind mm-hmm. about people when new <laughs> data comes into the equation. Absolutely. And like I'm using him as like a jumping off point because that's in the first episode. But I thought that was like that was something I thought about again with Ellen. Like you acknowledge the fact that there's yeah. valid reason to dislike Ellen DeGeneres. And there's also valid reason to respect um right the the huge career sacrifice that she ultimately did go through at first like she had a, a real blacklist of her own no for she time. did absolutely i think we yeah um yes i think, I think it, we can acknowledge that there are people who have been instrumental to cultural change that might not be good people and like and that people yeah. are complicated as well you know and that we can't you know and it's like it's the same thing that I think comes up all the time in our circles around like, does a piece of work that is instrumental and foundational in film or games, does it immediately become not instrumental, not foundational because we later find out the creator was bad? Like these, I think these are personal choices, but I think that we, that thing still happened in that moment in time and had an impact culturally. And like, I don't think we don't talk about it or acknowledge it because of new information. I think we just position it and frame it for what it is with all of the data that we have now, you know? And, you know, the thing about the Janet, so this whole, what's been really interesting and frustrating being in post-production during this year was that a bunch of the topics that we talked about became like headline news all of a sudden. And I'm like, oh my God, if only the show was out, like we did Uh, an episode on it. So Janet came up, Satanic Panic came up, Um, Nichelle Nichols passed away this year, which is so sad. We also have an episode about her. Um... And the thing about like Janet Jackson, the Janet Jackson episode, for example, is that like at the time, nobody was giving shit to Justin Timberlake. He was just like, yeah, a race from the picture. And it's only recently in revisiting uh, this story and this what uh, revisiting the incident that people are like, wait, Justin Timberlake is kind of a piece of shit. Like, why did we let him off the hook? And it's because we have now changed as a society to be able to recognize that he should have been. <laughs> Uh, he he shouldn't have gotten he like the disparity between what happened to her publicly, like being basically crucified and him just being like, well, we're just like, it was just a little thing. Sorry, just everybody. to give you all something to talk about. Woo, yeah, um, I think it's really interesting that as a society now we are at a place where we can see that and acknowledge it. And I, I'm really happy that we're reframing some of these historical events to understand Um, because we can't change the past, but we can understand them differently now. And there's a line that you said, you know, you referenced earlier, if you don't believe me, why are you here? And I think significantly that's in the Gamergate episode, just the last episode, and where you acknowledge, like, I'm personally connected to this story, and there's stuff I'm not going to get into, but you can Google it, (laughs) which I thought was great. Um, But there's something you say in that episode about people who have always been dominant in a given space and who feel that dominance start to slip just a little bit. And I feel like it's become more, well, you even reference that there's an episode about Lois Weber, this a predominant filmmaker in the early days of American cinema and how she had to like change and bow to certain pressures in order to like soften some of the messaging of her stories So, like, we're looking at this whole legacy of generations of people who can or cannot take accountability. And I think it's really interesting that, like, um, the people who will, the Dixie Chicks will change their name. And they will not feel bad about having to do that. They will not feel put upon or like it's a penance that they have to do that. They will just do that because it is the the thing that they want to do, that their fans want them to do. Um, Lizzo and Beyonce have been um, called at, called in, called out for uh, ableist language mm-hmm. in songs mm-hmm. and have edited the songs. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, it's like, who are the people who are making the changes? The people who've already been forced to adapt to the dominant. And then the people who, may, you know, you're never going to get an apology 
or any kind of accountability or any kind of like, I need to change my behavior or I did something wrong from the people who find it to be a threat to their very existence. Right. That's right. I mean, I, you know, it just uh, the, um, I'm a little obsessed with this particular topic and it seems like, you know, I see and conservative politicians right now on Twitter, you know, every day who are deliberately ramping up anti-trans sentiment, but they act like it is a personal affront that anyone would even expect them to like properly gender, you know, not misgender a trans person, for instance, like, like that is just the height of like, um, uh, you know, of like imp- imp- imposing and restricting them. Like, um, whereas for, you know, so many of us like who don't get to live in privileged bubbles where society has always kind of catered to our every, um, you know, self-serving notion or idea or what have you, like we want to adapt to be more like respectful of and, and understanding of our fellow human beings. Um, it's yeah, it's a stark, it's a stark divide to be sure. Well, like Anita is, you know, fretting over turns of phrase she wouldn't have used. I I remember recording a podcast episode in, I want to say 2014, Mm. in which I had like just learned the word intersectionality and I was trying to explain the concept. Mm. And I, I was, I was like, "Ah, I'm not sure if I quite have it right, but I think it's this. Mm. I still think about that and i'm like ah, should i go edit that episode right. and then i think right, like okay. right right you know, like, like the way yeah like those of us i guess uh, like will obsess over oh god i really think i said I, I didn't use the right word there i'm sorry that was not the most sensitive or or appropriate <laughs> language to have used you know whereas you know ted cruz will just tweet <laughs> like uh you know the, this like male teacher in such and such school is pregnant you can't make you can't make this stuff up or you know whatever and just like you know balking at the very idea that anyone would would i i you know the whole uh. well and it, it really is just a matter of throwing alphabet soup at the wall and making words that's at a certain point um unfortunately Possibly because I am registered no party preference. Mm. I get both uh, political versions of spam texts. Sure. Great. And in my haste to report them as spam and delete them, I sometimes see a phrase that I'm like, what? (laughs) And one I saw today was like, you know, fight against a woke military. (laughs) I was like, "Uh, what? Yeah. Like we're just pulling words off of like 2011 Twitter at this point, and it <laughs> yeah. doesn't mean anything. I mean, woke, you know, woke is another one of the. It's become another one of those rhetorical tools for the right. Not, not you know, in its in its actual uh, usage and purpose for the right. It's not unlike things like political correctness or what have you, right? It, it's a, it's a kind of a cudgel to to try to keep in you know, with the acceptable ideas, uh, you know, in line. It happened very quickly when Me Too, like, we know Me Too was around for for a few years, and then in 2017, like, found its way to white women in Hollywood. Um, And how quickly that became, like, he got Me Too'd instead of, like... (laughs) yes. Somebody like, had the bravery to speak out about his actions. Yeah, like, <laughs> oh, he's being held accountable for his incredibly, you know, horrible actions. Uh, it's like, yeah, it became the, the you know, there's an example in one of the episodes where we're talking about the phrase witch hunt, um, the, the blacklist mm, yes. episode, because we say, like, what happened then to all these innocent people whose lives were destroyed, these hundreds and hundreds of people, like, that was a true witch hunt. It was a baseless uh, you know, completely baseless, destructive fear. Um, yeah, but you know, now it's like the. I think the fake, you know, the the ridiculous contemporary example is something like Terry Gilliam or some other, you know, contemporary <laughs> dude being like, yeah, this whole Me Too thing is a is a witch hunt for you know, like men being actually held accountable for their actions for sexual abuse for rape. Also, let's clarify, they're not being held accountable. They're just being called out for their shit, you know? Right, right, right. They're, yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, very very, few of them very are rarely are they actually in any way 
you know, held accountable. Right. Good point. Oh, no, I have to diversify my revenue streams. Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Anita, I think I cut you off. No, I, well, I, oh, I was just thinking about how, like, we're talking about language. And so, um, there is, there is a difference in how the conservatives will create words to put into the public, the mainstream public. So PC is a word that they created and put into the public, uh, language. And then there's the ways that they co-opt social justice terms, right? Like the, that terms that have already been created by oppressed groups and then they co-opt them. Those are like kind of the, the two facets in that we've been discussing on right. this podcast specifically right. right now. And I think that that's an interesting difference, you know? Yes. There's a uh, one moment I would just love for our listeners to hear, because if all of this didn't get them excited to go and subscribe and check these episodes out, this is the one that made me go, Oh brother out loud to my television now, we've all heard of Mothers Against Drunk Driving, <laughs> but in the Satanic Panic episode, would you please tell me what the organization was that was founded by a, a grieving, yes. troubled woman, but who fo- formed the dorkiest ever yeah. um, yes. organization Do name. you remember this, Carolyn? I, I do, I do. Well, I, uh, yes. Uh, she formed an organization called BAD, which <laughs> stands for bothered about dungeons and dragons Uh, i died having to like read that in the script it was yeah that is the it is the it was we were like this is so dumb how do we like actually play with this a little bit because it's so yeah bothered about dungeons and dragons are you fucking serious (laughs) it was a bit a bit of a reach a bit of a reach there you know maybe a little bit of a reach I'm going to go to Lids and get a hat with that embroidered on the front. I just love it so much. I mean, it's like, it's also, it's dark and it's sad, but yes. it's like in those moments when something is absurd like that, it's, yeah, it's, it's so like, hard not to like, you know, like whatever the conservatives make fun of us and our language and our shit, but our shit is all predicated on like about like respect and agency and like caring about the humanity of people. Their shit is all like, uh, about attacking and, you know, and like it, c- maintaining the status quo. So they come up with all this dumb, these stupid acronyms and these stupid like movements against things like this. And you can't, there's just so much shit that is hilarious and like it laughably is, yes. stupid because it's just like, like yeah, there is definitely then, a bunch of moments of that in this series. Like just today, literally today, I saw uh, or Kotaku actually ran a story about a like a mural at a you know a, a school I uh, it was an I'm off work this week so I read it I I didn't work on the story is like an elementary or middle school mural right with that has like a trans flag in it and like a video game character wearing a mask and literally parents um, objected to it and called it satanic like literally satanic <laughs> so that is still for you know, a certain stripe of like religious conservative who actually believes that Satan, you know, is or, you know, is a kind of actual force um, working in American culture and politics like that is still such a quick and easy knee jerk um, go to uh, to 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 condemn things that 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 kind of scare them and that they don't that they don't understand and um so yeah i highly recommend the documentary hail satan um (laughs) which is about the like modern um american satanist movement to basically just to start conversations about religious pluralism Mm. really Mm -hmm. and that like uh if we can have a ten commandments in front of a courthouse why can't we have baphomet and it's like, obviously, it doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't work to do that yeah. <laughs> because you get people who are like, but I'm, but that, but Satan. But they're just trying to say, well, why not then the Buddha or any other religious figure? Sure. Um, why just the one? And I think uh, it's, it's a weird documentary, but uh, enjoyable. Yeah. Um, I, well, will you tell us? No, go on. Well, I was going to say, I think that um, the series is interesting because it sort of just big picture circling back around of like 
because it starts in the 1910s and it basically ends in 2014, uh, well, actually, no, 2016, 17, um, we're covering a really large span of time. And I think it's interesting to think about how audiences approach this um, because like some of the shit, like we actually all lived through, right. We were saying this and some of it is new to folks, right. We're saying this. Um, and I think for, for me in researching this and I don't know why well, I didn't do research, but in working on it, um, like it was interesting to me that I'm like, Oh, I grew up uh, being like, wow, pa- Pat Robertson is fucking insane. You know, like we had those like leaders, those like conservative leaders that everybody knew um, just kind of around. And it's interesting to think about the shift in who, who took over those positions and what those look like now. Mm. Right. Cause I'm, I'm forgetting. I don't know why I can't remember the name of the other really huge. Uh, uh, Falwell. Falwell. Thank you. Jerry Falwell, which I think young people are just like, who the fuck are you talking about? And to us, it's like, man, they were, everywhere all the time. So instrumental in the rise of the evangelical movement in America. Um, And so I think for me, what's interesting is like what, uh, what we learned in more detail doing this research and going through this. And also like, how do, how does like a, a, a young audience think about this stuff when we share it? Right. Like how, what is their, what, what connections are they drawing with mm. modern contemporary mm-hmm. issues that are the same fucking thing with different leaders, um, with different topics? And like, you know, I was doing an interview about the show recently and I was thinking about how, like, you know, why did we do this? Like, why was this important to do? Um, and part of it was like, I just thought it'd be kind of fun, <laughs> you know, like it's storytelling <laughs> in history, but really ultimately why I think it's like worth my time and important, important to have created was because it shows us so clearly how all this shit is cyclical. It happens again and again and again, and it's going to keep happening. And I think that this is constantly my tension around um, why I think history is really important to understand is that it's very hard for us to contextualize and understand what's happening today without understanding that it's happened before and it, and it, it, it will continue happening. Right. And as we hopefully get more tools and more language and more understanding, we can intervene earlier or we can combat the injustice uh, in more effective ways. I don't know if we can, you know, like we're talking about like centuries of repetition over and over again, but there's a part of me that's like, can we do that? Can we take this knowledge and understand that we can, that we can do these things differently, that we can like, we can, we can have a better understanding of how regressive politics, like the, the tools that they use because they use the same fucking tools every time. So can't we get better at undermining that? Right. Can't we get better at our messaging and our stories and the way that we connect with folks to bring them into a more progressive, a more like just space. And that, I think that's, I don't know, that's really high hopes, but that's some of why I think this is so important to talk about. And will you tell our listeners how they can find it? It's linked <laughs> in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but they're going to, they got to start somewhere. They got to start somewhere. Um, It is on Nebula, which is a streaming platform. And you can find it at nebula.tv slash that time when. They are released every Thursday for the next nine weeks. I think at the release of this episode, there will be three episodes of that time when um, available for you to watch. I would love to hear what you think about it. I'm so curious about how this is going to land. It's my first series I've done in a really long time. It feels different. Uh, It feels more me. (laughs) I feel like with tropes, it was very dry. It was very driven by fear um, and trauma and like, you know, feeling like I could do no wrong. And this one feels a lot more fun and playful, but also with all of the social justice lens that I feel like is important in my work. And so, you know, uh, I'd love to know what people think sincerely and that there could be a conversation around it and that there can be critique of this work in a way in which tropes, there was no space for real sincere critique, you know, and also bracing myself for that. (laughs) 
you know, as a creator being like, oh, what does it mean to have my work critiqued, you know? But I'm like, I'm excited to to hear how people react to it and, and um, what they take away from it, you know? Well, thank you for that. I'm so excited for people to watch this. I got to watch them all at once because I'm lucky, but um, it was, yeah, it was just so much fun. You're going to love it. And we're going to be back right away to share some freakouts. If you are enjoying our show, please consider supporting it on Patreon. Your monthly or annual tax-deductible gift helps us keep the show running and on the air. By becoming a patron, you're supporting independent feminist media and a nonprofit that's working to end abuse in the games industry. Plus, patrons get a special bonus alongside each episode of the podcast. Of course, we know that not everyone has the means to financially support the show, so... Just taking a moment to give us a star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show can help new listeners find us. We appreciate your support in whatever way you can provide it. Now, back to the show. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Carolyn, what about you? Yeah, so I've been on vacation this past week, and um, one thing that's uh, given me the opportunity to do is go see a few films. And I saw one film uh, the other day that I really quite liked. Um, it is a it is a new, I believe it's a Lithuanian film, and it's called Vesper, and it's a science fiction mm. film that is about a a young girl, like 13-year-old girl named Vesper in a in a post-apocalyptic uh future where like like some you know very wealthy uh, people live in these citadels, but also a, a great many kind of poor people have to fend for themselves out in um the the spaces outside the citadels. And Vesper is one of these people. And um, it's, you know, it's a difficult film to summarize because so much of the experience of it is about the, the tone, the atmosphere. Um, I would say that tonally and visually, um, it, um, I don't know, it, it, uh, owes a lot to, um, filmmakers kind of like, um, uh, um, uh, it's a lot like like Tarkovsky. Like there's a, something about um, it's kind of reminiscent of of films like Stalker, um, like or old Russian sci-fi. Um, but it's also um, uh, it's a film that offers us, I would say, a new kind of post-apocalyptic superhero. Like often when we think of post-apocalyptic stories we we kind of think of things maybe like mad max or you know in mm -hmm. video games we think of things like the last of us or fallout and there's typically a lot of violence involved and there is violence in the world of vesper but what makes vesper herself an engaging and kind of heroic central character is not violence it is uh other skills other talents other uh impulses that she has as a as a driven, um, determined young person who tries to affect real change in the extremely uh, difficult, unpleasant world that she that she exists in. So, um, yeah, it's, cool. a, it's a fascinating new uh, off kilter. Uh, science fiction film that, called Vesper. If you're into that, I recommend you check it out. Awesome. Anita, what you been reading? I have been reading a lot, but one thing is on one of our episodes with Emily St. James, we talked about crying in H Mart. I don't remember mm. if you brought it up or if she brought it up, but I read that book and I like, holy shit. It like it's really, so good. well, it, there's one line in the very beginning where she talks about like, do I have, like she says this beautifully, I'm going to butcher it, but she says, what is my like attachment to my Korean culture if my mother is dead? And I almost started bawling because I'm like, I was like, oh my God, I think about that all the time is like, am I Armenian anymore if I don't have my parents? You know, like what, right. like our connections to 
that uh, cultural identity. And so I like, I was primed to love that book and the inter, the honesty of it, like the, the uncomfortable honesty of it and the, um, all the food stuff. I just, I, I absolutely loved it. I loved that book. So coming back around from that other freak out. Um, but I read a book called interior Chinatown, um, by Charles Yu and it, um, when did it come out? It came out in 2020. I do not know how to describe this book. It is so fascinating and unlike anything I've ever read. Um, okay. I'm going to try very badly. It's written like a screenplay, but not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like it's a screenplay. Is it like a epistolary or? What does epistolary mean? It's like letters, like when it's no. kind of. Mm-mm. It's a written like a screenplay. Like so it's literally like interior Chinatown and then da da da. And then like uh. this character and that character. And it uses the format of film uh, screenwriting to talk about racism of Asian characters in, in media. But it also has a narrative. So um, he talks about the generic Asian man and like the Kung Fu man and how like as kid like and it's it's fiction right but like as kids you want to be the kung fu man right and that there are different people in the neighborhood who are those people and then some of them get to do film and then you get to be the generic asian man for a while but you have to like cycle off of set like you're the asian man who dies on like fucking svu or whatever and then you can't come back once you die for like six weeks and then you lose, you know, all of the, whatever that happens around then, and then you can come back. And so it's the evolution of the different stratas of Asian tropes in television and movies. Um, but it's told as a story. Um, and as this like guy and his dad, and then he grows up and he's also in movies. And then he like falls in love with another woman like that's an actor and the tension between that, but it's all written like a screenplay kind of it's really fascinating and it's really uncovering um, or not uncovering. It's so overt around like just being like Hollywood is bad (laughs) to Asians, you know (laughs) Um, it's fascinating. And like, there's a, uh, there's a part in it where they talk about um, like they make a fake show that's like called black and white or something like that. Um, that's supposed to be law and order and like it acknowledges other forms of racism in the ways that other people of color are presented. And like, there's a little bit about the way women are represented in media in it. But anyways, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm sorry that I can't explain this well. Cause it's so fucking weird, but I think it oh, was really great. fascinating. Yeah. It was really, really it interesting. Sounds- Really good, but we're going to do a a little experiment because I have lost the ability to, like, read with my eyes. I pretty much only listen to audiobooks Mm. anymore, and I just placed a hold on this audiobook from the library. So we'll see, like, how will the format work? I'm curious um, to see if it it translates to the medium. Um, Yeah, let me know. know, I'm curious. If pressed, I can... I can read a, a real book, but it's hard these days. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I let me know how that audiobook is of it. It's really interesting. But yeah, it's called Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. And um, highly recommend it if you're into reading and also shitty Hollywood things. <laughs> Kat, what are you freaking out about? You know, I was like trying to decide what my freak out was. I have been reading a lot of grief memoirs. So crying in H Mart is like really chef's kiss on that. Um, and I'm officiating a wedding tomorrow. So part I was possibly going to have that as my freak out because it's sort of a weird thing to like sit down and write a script for a wedding ceremony. Um, and I was Googling like wedding ceremony scripts equal wedding ceremony scripts, feminist wedding ceremony scripts. And I was um, coming up to a lot of like poly hand fasting scripts and stuff, which I was like, that's just not really formatted correctly. So um, maybe I'll come back next week after I've actually done it and talk more. Um, I have been watching long running reality show, The Amazing Race. Um, it is a show that I watched almost every episode of with my dad and, um, he passed away right before the pandemic began. And then because of the pandemic, the amazing rice also had to halt production. 
So it went from being this show that I'd watched weekly since I was in high school um, to something I just like didn't even think about. It was completely gone from my like uh, low emotional impact pop culture media consumption. Uh, so I started, I caught up on the last season because I knew there was a new season coming. And I have been really enjoying listening to the podcast, The Gay Amazing Race, mm. which is uh, co-hosted by former Feminist Frequency Radio guest Karen Tongson. Um, the podcast is actually uh, produced by uh, the USC School of Gender Studies, I believe, which is, it's either gender and media or gender or media studies, but um, Karen's a professor there. And it's Really great to hear um, her and her co-host talk about the gay themes that they see that they are sometimes searching for in The Amazing Race, but they're two women who like to eat and travel and explore and hike, and they're watching the show, and every week they're kind of like, well... The only gay amazing team got eliminated in week two, but we think there might be some gay amazing vibes on this team. So they're kind of doing a little bit of playing with the show. But it also is, I always appreciate when people take something that seems like sort of light and silly, like the amazing race, and watch it and genuinely talk about like, what is the the power dynamic when you have a physical challenge that a bunch of Americans are conducting in this other country. What's happening in this moment? What do we think um, the the bystanders are thinking? Like they really get into it, and uh, it's it's a cool podcast. The f- if you have ever watched The Amazing Race, their first episodes are kind of historical. They're saying, "Oh, here's when." the first lesbian kiss on CBS happened and they interview the contestants, you know, from 15 years ago. And then for the recent episodes during the pandemic, they're doing like a week by week um, rundown of the episodes. So I've been enjoying uh, just kind of getting into it and also like kind of reigniting a a relationship with a show that does make me think of my dad and have like a nice, um, when I do watch reality competition shows, I like to do the like, well, if this, if I had this challenge, here's what I would make on Project Runway. It's like, I've never, I, I don't know how to design <laughs> clothing or, or, or bake really, but I watch it and I'm like, no, that's, that's not what I would do. Um, um, so I am enjoying that. Can we show. talk in the bonus about Mexican week on the British Bake Off? <laughs> yes. Can we please? please? Okay, great. Yes. Y'all heard it here. We're going to talk about this in the yes. bonus. <laughs> Get thee to Patreon so that you can <laughs> <laughs> participate. Ooh, it's the only reality show I watch. And I'm like, uh, what the fuck? Okay. Anyways, yes. That's lo- that's really lovely. It's nice to find a reconnecting to something that was so meaningful for you in uh, like a hardship moment, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, there's so much, um, there's so much that I think that can be said about like what people take with them when they leave us. And sometimes that is a cultural connection. Sometimes like something I've been thinking about lately is um, re-grieving people who died long ago, but who my father was a connection to them. And so I haven't like been sad about my grandma's death since I was little, but now I'm kind of revisiting that and thinking, gosh, any conversations the two of them had are yeah you know star stuff now like that kind of thing um the yeah the other i will say um anderson cooper's new podcast about uh grief is also quite interesting some interesting interviews there so if you like digging into some of that tearjerker stuff i'll recommend that one as well nice on that note this has been a really fun show. I think it's really great to have to, to like listen to the two of you. Thank you, Carolyn, for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks Where can people for... find you on the internet? Yeah, it's great. To, it's sorry. What was that last bit? Where can people find? Oh, where you can on people the internet, find me but... on the internet? Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah, we. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Carolyn Michelle. 
Um, yeah, that's probably the best place. I I work at Kotaku, which is a very good website, but I'm an editor. Uh, so uh, I'm mostly, you know. Yeah, when are you going to start writing more, Carolyn? We miss I your writing. I would like to. I'm going to try to start writing more I in recently, maybe the coming year. I recently hung out with your boss and was like, Carolyn needs to write more. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, she she mentioned that she did she did mention that, um, uh, which I want to I want to, but it's yeah, a you first. know it's a tough balance. We're a small team, yeah. um, yes. But I just want to say it's it's such a an, uh, uh, it's been so fun to be back here. It's so great to see this show that Anita uh, that you and I worked on uh, so hard for the for well. You worked hard on it for like two years. I worked hard on it for like six months. But to see it now out in the world as a real thing, it's so rewarding and exciting to have it out there and to find out, you know, to let people experience it. So, yeah, thanks yeah. Uh, for having me on the show and for letting me be a part of uh, of that time win. Absolutely. Thanks for doing this with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't imagine anyone else that I would want to write this show with. So thank you. And thanks for coming on and just talking about it, even though it's like, two years out of your brain. <laughs> um, I'm Anita Sarkeesian and you can find me at Anita Sarkeesian on Twitter and on Instagram. I am, will be promoting the fuck out of this show for the next several weeks. Please go watch it. Um, you know, Nebula is like two or three dollars a month. You only need to subscribe for like two, three months maybe to see the whole thing. <laughs> not that it's not a great platform with lots of other great creators. I'm just saying. It's like, if you can, uh, please take a look at it and let me know what you think. I'm Kat Spada. You can find me on Twitter at cat underscore EX underscore Machina. And you can find Feminist Frequency at FemFreak. If you are a Patreon subscriber, be sure to stick around for the bonus episode with our guest, Carolyn Pettit, where we're going to talk about something that Carolyn has not seen. <laughs> uh, uh, not Although we might, we might talk episode. about this. We, we didn't get to talk about the set, which I, um, I fucking love the set of that time one. So maybe we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. If you like this show, please help other people find it by subscribing, rating, and commenting on whichever podcast app you use. Thanks Thanks so so much much for for listening. listening. (laughs) Bye. Bye, Bye, everyone.